Make sure you're subscribed to Issues Etc. Type Issues Etc. in your podcast provider, hit that subscribe button, and leave us a five-star review. This will make it easier for other podcast listeners to find Issues Etc. Abortion is a topic of much discussion, especially with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. A good thing, a very good thing, but it has not meant that abortion is off the table politically or religiously. There's an AP and Associated Press headline, U.S. Catholic bishops worry about abortion views in the pews. We're going to be talking about this story and the issues that it raises Dr. Jennifer Roback Morse is our guest. She's founder and president of the Ruth Institute. She taught economics for 15 years at Yale and George Mason University. She's senior research fellow in economics for the Acton Institute and author of several books, including The Sexual State. Jennifer, welcome back. Thanks for having me on, Todd. What's your reaction generally to the recent elections of outspoken pro-life bishops to key leadership and committee positions in the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops? Well, I'm delighted that they selected these particular individuals. Some of the alternatives were really not very good at all. Um, so it's good that they chose uh, Bishop Burbage and Bishop Coakley, you know, to do these key positions, because these are guys who have a history of being outspoken, not only on abortion, but on other uh, issues that are related to the general, the, the culture of life more broadly understood. Bishop Burbage, for example, uh, was one of the first to come out with a diocesan-wide policy statement on the whole issue of transgenderism and gender ideology. Uh, so these are these are solid choices, and uh, and and I'm glad to see these particular picks. Is Catholic teaching on abortion ambiguous or unsettled? To hear some prominent Catholics talk about it, it's almost as though the Church really hasn't made up his mind on this issue. Uh, th- th- those people are blowing smoke. I mean, this is wishful thinking. This is throwing sand in your face, trying to create a cloud of confusion over an issue that has been settled, Todd, literally since apostolic times, okay? I mean, the late, great Professor Rodney Stark, in his analysis of why did Christianity spread so rapidly, one of the things he points to is that women were attracted to Christianity. There was one and only one teaching, and that is that you don't ever take the life of an innocent human being. And so what Dr. Stark showed is that women were drawn to Christianity precisely because they knew if they married a Christian man, that he would not make them do something like abort their baby or leave their baby on the hillside to be exposed and and to die. They knew a Christian husband wouldn't do that to them, and women found that attractive, as many women today still do find it attractive. So, uh, So the reality is that Christian teaching, Catholic teaching, is not unsettled whatsoever. These people are blowing smoke. And the things that they point to, to make it look like there might be some ambiguity, really do not hold up at all under any kind of close examination. Why do so many Catholics disagree functionally with the Church's teaching on abortion? I think for the same reason everybody disagrees with it. They disagree with it because it's inconvenient. You know, if you, if you put the question up to people, is it always wrong to deliberately take an innocent human life? Everybody would say, yeah, oh yeah, you don't deliberately take innocent human life. You don't in- deliberately kill, kill uh, innocent people. You don't do that. But when it's abortion, so many things have been thrown over that issue to make it appear ambiguous. The chief one being 
to deny the humanity of the person in the womb. The person in the womb is now a non-person in a lot of people's minds, which if they were honest, they would understand that that's crazy. What do they think it is in the womb anyway? What is that, a cabbage? You know, is a watermelon? I mean, what are we trying to say here? Of course, it's a person. And to declare some people non-persons, the only reason people do that is because for some reason it is convenient for them to do that. And Catholics, I think, are right down the middle. Just like everybody else, the Catholics who deny the personhood of the, of the person in the womb do it for pretty much the same reasons that everybody else does so, uh, Todd. And, you know, you guys have that in, in the, within the broad Lutheran tradition. You guys have the same kind of problem, and I, and I think for roughly the same kind of reasons. There's no deep, profound, innovative, intellectual justification for this. It's just a simple this is inconvenient for us. And somebody came up with an explanation. Oh, that thing in the womb is really a clump of cells. It's not really a person. Boom. Now we're off the hook. We don't have to pay attention to it. Well, nothing could be further from authentic Christianity than to deny the humanity of another human being because it's convenient. And, and as you and I know from, you know, we're old enough to have seen the trends go by uh, that when you start denying the humanity of one person, Overall, and in general, you have a tendency to devalue other human life, and it's, it's not so surprising now that we're facing all these pressures for various kinds of euthanasia under various kinds of circumstances, and a callousness towards embryonic life, you know, these, these poor little babies that are frozen and, and waiting for somebody to rescue them. You know, it's, it's, it's a very, very strange, self-contradictory position we've gotten ourselves into, but that's how it's happened, I think. What statements have the bishops issued regarding the priority of protecting the unborn? They issued a voting guide some years ago, and every few years they sit around and argue about it because some people say that the big division among the bishops is this, Todd. If I, I would just give you a little inside Catholic inside baseball here. There's no bishop that I'm aware of who's going to come out and say, sure, abortions swell, no problem. I don't know of any bishop who would say that. But what they will say is, oh, gosh, abortion shouldn't be our highest priority in deciding how we're going to vote. And so they argue every so often over the voter's guide because the bishops who are solidly and seriously pro-life are going to say the slaughter of the innocent is the number one priority. And it cannot be we cannot set it aside for because of a candidate's position on immigration or climate change or any of these other issues, which whether the person is correct or incorrect on that issue, it's not as the, the, the evil that may be in play there is not nearly as direct and evil as the deliberate taking of an innocent human life. And so what some of the bishops have done, the bishops that are more aligned with the Democratic Party, and there are many Catholic bishops who are aligned with the Democratic Party, the argument that they make is, gosh, we should consider all the candidates' positions. It shouldn't be a, we shouldn't be single-issue voters. We should consider how they treat the poor, how they treat the refugees, and so on and so forth. And basically, that's been the song and dance that for 40 years, roughly, has given Democratic politicians a way to tap dance around the life issues and say, well, we give more money to poor people, so we're, we're really more pro-life than those other guys. So that's how you would decode the secret messages that are coming from both Catholic politicians and the bishops. The bishops are certain, some of the bishops are certainly giving cover to those Catholic politicians who are arguing that manner. That seems to me just a, a very thinly veiled way of saying abortion's important, but it's not important 
really in the end because I can take any other issue that I may consider to be important and say, well, yeah, they're pro-choice, but I'm going to vote for them anyway because. Right. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And that, that line of argument was really, in, in one way, it used to be called the seamless garment argument, and it was originated by Cardinal Bernadine, who is very closely aligned with liberal causes generally, and who is also very closely aligned with clergy sex abuse, as it turns out. A lot of very bad things, very dark things went on in Chicago and are still going on, as far as I can tell, But because that's an issue I track pretty closely, is clergy sex abuse and, and cover-up. But in any case, Cardinal Bernadine's position was that to be pro-life is to is to favor a seamless garment of protecting life in the womb and then protecting the life of the poor and protecting the life of the elderly and so on and so forth. And it was all one big, beautiful tapestry. You know, that was his argument. What I want to say is that there's a proper pro-life seamless garment, which is that if you're going to protect the life in the womb, you need to also protect marriage because married people very seldom want to have abortions. Very, you know, like 90, 91% of abortions are performed on unmarried people, right? If you're going to be pro-life, you need to defend the chastity and the integrity of the body and all forms of sexual integrity, because it's disordered sexual behavior that leads to the thought that, gee, an abortion would really help me out here because I just got pregnant with my boss who's married to someone else. And, you know, all these complicated situations people get themselves into because they're having sex outside of the one man, one woman for life conjugal union. So that's the proper seamless garment. That's the proper pro-life culture that you should be creating. How much money the government gives to this program or that program, to my mind, much less important than this set of issues. What needs to be done to make the Catholic position absolutely clear to Catholic laity? Well, it'd be swell if the bishops and the clergy spoke out. You know, that'd be really swell. And when the bishops don't speak out, the problem with that is that the kind of bishop who tends not to speak out also tends to lean on his clergy to not speak out. And all it takes is one Karen, you know, some uh, middle-aged suburban lady to say, Father was so mean in his sermon this week, he said so judgmental about abortion, yada, yada, yada. That kind of bishop will tell his priest to sit down and shut up, you know. And so the bishops really are a problem. <laughs> you know, there's no doubt about it, you know, the way that, the way that whole dynamic works. And so I think the, the most, it, it'd be great if the bishops did it. Um, and and in, the, in the past, the Catholic clergy have been very outspoken on these issues, you know, all the way, I would say, until roughly 1965, the Catholic clergy and the Catholic hierarchy were very clear on traditional Christian sexual morality in this country. But at this point, I think the most likely thing to help Catholic lay people understand it is for other Catholic lay people to be talking about it and to talk about it authoritatively not in the sense that we want to replace the bishop or we want to replace the pope or anything like that, but for Catholic laity to point to authoritative magisterial documents that have been in the church for a long, long time, and some that have been more recent that have specifically focused on these issues. And here I would cite Evangelium Vitam. I probably got the Latin wrong, but it's, it was one of John Paul II's documents, you know, and, and he, was, he made a very solemn declaration in there, you know, hey, the taking of innocent human life is always wrong, you know, kind of thing. But, but we have the, the, the strength of Catholicism is to have this whole body of, of magisterial documents. And anybody from any place in the church, from the smallest little person all the way up to the Pope, can point to those documents 
with the same sort of authority, right, and cite them and say, this is what we believe, and I don't care what Father so-and-so says, I don't care what Karen in the parish council says, or what Father Happy Clappy says, this is what the Church teaches. And so it falls on people like me and other Catholic laity to make that clear. Not only this is what the Church has always taught, but also, as you know, Todd, this is why what the Church teaches is rational, humane, compassionate, and coherent, which the sexual revolution is completely intellectually incoherent and brutal, just brutal and, and inhuman. And anybody can learn how to make that case. And, you know, that's what we try to do at the Ruth Institute is to equip anybody who wants to know how to make that kind of case. How do you respond to outgoing U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who recently said that it is sinful to want to restrict or put restrictions on abortions? So wait, you want me to like use words here? Or do you want me to like put a throw up emoji on the screen or something? I mean, it, this is ridiculous. The woman's ridiculous. No, that's my reaction. I, you know, I, it, it's not even worth commenting on no restrictions. Any restrictions are sinful. She's out of her mind. No, 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 that, that's self-serving nonsense is what that is. Do you think that the example of political leaders such as President Biden and Pelosi contribute to the laity's ambivalence on abortion? Oh, no question about it. No question about it. They're providing cover for people who, who really should be facing themselves. Biden and Pelosi and other Catholic pro-abortion politicians, you know, they're, they're basically creating an, an excuse or cover for people to ignore and avoid dealing with this issue. So, yeah, their example is terrible. The policies that they enact are terrible. And I wouldn't want to be them on Judgment Day. That's all I got to say. So how do you respond to the position that is so popular? It's in your church. It's in my church where they'll say, yes, I'm pro-life. President Biden says this. He's, he thinks he's pro-life. I'm personally opposed, but I cannot impose my religious position on anyone else by restricting abortion or making it illegal. Well, basically what he's saying is that uh, I'm personally pro-life, but the secular religion of this country requires everyone to respect every single choice that anybody else makes, and we don't accept any uh, rational argument about right and wrong. That's what he's really saying. The poor man really is terrible that he, a man who's as cognitively impaired as he is has the kind of position that he has, but pretend he didn't have dementia. It's still a statement that doesn't withstand any scrutiny, because what you're saying is there's a higher law than right and wrong. My, my religion teaches me right from wrong, but somehow my religion is not the highest authority. The highest authority is the secular authority, and the secular authority is saying, has decided for whatever reason, the secular authority has decided that everybody gets to do whatever they want, and there's no rational argument to make that the public should do or say anything other than that. That is a complete abdication of responsibility to say that. It sounds superficially plausible, but when you scratch the surface even a little bit, you can see that it's not plausible at all. It is a dodge, right? It is simply an abdication of responsibility. Dr. Jennifer Roback-Morris is founder and president of the Ruth Institute. She taught economics for 15 years at Yale and George Mason Universities. She's senior research fellow in economics at the Acton Institute and author of several books, including The Sexual State. You can purchase The Sexual State and find out more about the Ruth Institute at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Jen, thank you.
You're very welcome, Todd. Issues Etc. has been brought to you in part this week by Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas. Faith Lutheran provides a classical Lutheran education for pre-K through 12th grade. They also offer live interactive online classes for high school students worldwide. Learn more at flsplano.org. Faith Lutheran School, Plano, Texas, flsplano.org. Next week on Issues Etc., we'll begin a new Looking Forward to Sunday Morning series with pastors Peter Bender and Sean Denzer. We'll have Dr. Tim Seleska lead us in a teaching on Psalm 67, the psalm appointed for a day of thanksgiving. And we'll talk with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller about four things that inform the conscience. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. You can help save lives in Southern Illinois by participating in 40 Days for Life, September 28th through November 6th. Vigils will be held outside abortion facilities at Granite City, Carbondale, and Fairview Heights, Illinois. For information on Granite City, visit 40daysgc.com. To learn more about Carbondale and Fairview Heights, go to coalitionforlife.com. You can protect mothers and children by joining the worldwide effort of 40 Days for Life, September 28th through November 6th. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of His family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways. If you plan on doing some online Christmas shopping with Amazon, you can also help support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. Just go to smile.amazon.com, sign into your Amazon account, enter Lutheran Public Radio into the charitable organization search field, and click Select. A percentage of your purchase will be donated to Issues Etc. Smile.amazon.com and choose Lutheran Public Radio. Thanks for your support. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com.